Good morning. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version, and if you are in person today and you need a Bible to either keep or borrow, you can feel free to find one in the back. Um, This morning we will be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Today, we're going to conclude our our study, our meditation on the Lord's Prayer. The most famous prayer ever uttered, and probably for our daily lives, the most important one. As finite, fallen human beings, how can we approach our Creator in prayer? The Lord's Prayer was Jesus' answer. Uh, So we pay attention to it very carefully, and, and we're really grateful for Jesus to be so direct in answering our request, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, most of you are very familiar with the traditional historical doxology, the closing to the Lord's Prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Our our series is not going to focus on that closing doxology. It was actually a later edition. It wasn't it wasn't in Matthew's original do- gospel. It was most likely a second century edition based on a Jewish tradition coming out of uh, the Old Testament, out of the book of First Kings. Uh, now, I would tell you, it's totally fine to pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, that's a good tradition, and, and, and I would encourage you to do that. Uh, but the series is not going to close with that. We're going to close with the final and the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the obvious and the most common question and objection that comes up when you read this first is, why would God tempt anybody? Why even ask the question? Why feel the need to ask the question, Father, lead us not into temptation? Why would God do such a thing anyway? Let me suggest there's another way to ask that question. Can we really trust God? Can you trust God to not lead you into temptation, to leave you exposed to evil? Isn't that really what we are often asking? It's a question that humanity has asked uh, since the very beginning, whether you're religious or secular. Can I trust God really? It's a question that we have naturally asked From the very beginning, in the garden, Satan prompted the whole thing when the serpent said to Eve, did God actually say, and then fill in the blank, and then the rest was history. So at that moment, when the the serpent asked Adam and Eve to ask that question, that's what we've been wondering ever since. Can we really trust God? But the Bible story keeps urging humanity back back, back to ask a fundamentally different question. And the premise of a different question, before I offer you the question, the premise of the question is based in what James says in James chapter 1, verse 13, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. 
The question the Bible encourages us to ask again and again instead is, should we really trust ourselves? Should you really trust yourself? Should you really trust us? Should you really trust humanity? That's the question we really should be asking. As it says in Psalm 3, O Lord, how many are my foes? Or the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? Or the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whomever he may devour. So what we discover from the scriptures is that we have human enemies, we have spiritual adversaries, and you're your own worst enemy the world, the flesh, and the devil. Actually, J.I. Packer put it quite succinctly, and this gets at the heart of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. That's really what we're asking God to do in the Lord's Prayer. And so the big idea for today is this, that Christian prayer seeks deliverance. In praying this way, we are asking God for deliverance from whatever we cannot overcome on our own. Deliverance from what we cannot ourselves overcome. And as we talk about this, I want to discuss with you what we're asking him to deliver us from, what and who we seek deliverance from, who we are seeking deliverance for, right? Who are we praying for? And then finally, Who do we find deliverance in? Who we seek deliverance from, who we seek it for, and then who we find deliverance in. Now, what we are seeking deliverance from is, as I've already said, a way of summarizing it in biblical terms, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And just briefly, I'll talk about those three different things. Now, when you look at this When you look at this prayer request and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the word temptation in the original language in the ancient Greek in which Matthew was written, the word temptation could equally mean testing, meaning trials, tribulations, adversity, suffering. When you see the Greek word in the original language, it can mean testing as much as temptation. So the same word that you see in Luke's gospel for when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness and the word that James uses in his letter for talking about rejoicing in our trials, same word, temptation and testing. So how do you know what the Bible's talking about, whether it's temptation or testing? If it can mean both things, well, it all depends on where it's coming from. You see, Satan, our spiritual adversary, tempts you to destroy you, but God tests you to refine you and perfect you. Just as you see in the story of Job, and I encourage you to read the book of Job if you haven't yet in the Old Testament, God intended and accomplished a wonderful plan in Job's life for God to be glorified, and for Job to come to know his creator better, more wonderfully and intimately. 
Yet all along, Satan was trying to exploit that plan to destroy Job and to disgrace God. He didn't succeed, but Job really struggled. But in addition to the devil uh, and God's spiritual enemies, uh, that's not the only threat if you're a child of God. Uh, There are other threats. Even if you're not a Christian, there are other threats, not only spiritual adversaries. There's the world, as the Bible calls it. The world is under Satan's dominion and influence, meaning the world's power structures, its systems, its trends, its ideologies, something as large as a government, something as small as a family. All of it, a kingdom of this world, as Jesus calls it, a kingdom opposed to God's coming kingdom. So Jesus warned his disciples in John chapter 16, in this world, you will have trouble. I had trouble as my, as my followers, you're going to have trouble because the kingdoms and the ways and the, and the structures and the ideologies of this world are opposed to the, my coming kingdom. So there's the devil, but there's also the world. And finally, there is the flesh. The struggle is not only outside of you, it's within you, the Bible says. As the world is opposed to God, so is your soul without God's intervention. And this subtle, sneaky danger is known in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 as the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so good at doing what it has to do inside of you that, that you don't even see it happening. You don't even know what you're doing as the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter 7. And, and the way uh, the theologian J.I. Packer puts it, if you are unaware of sin's impact inside of you, how you think and what you love and what you plan for and what makes you excited and what makes you angry, if you're not aware of the deceitful, uncanny, and subtle power of sin within you. He says, you're like a person wandering blindfolded with ears plugged in the middle of a city street with traffic coming both ways. That's the deceitfulness of sin upon every individual. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, this is what we're seeking deliverance from. Now, maybe just one simple Uh, I don't have a lot of time, but one humble example of of how, a personal example of how God tests us because he loves us, but then the world and our flesh and the devil come in to exploit that testing. Uh, As a boy approaching adolescence, not quite there, but approaching adolescence, for a short period of time, maybe three or four years, uh, I had some intense struggles. Uh, My grandfather, whom I loved dearly, died. It was the first big of about 10 or 11 years old, the first major loss of my life. And around that time, and then for a few years after it, I, I went through in, in school, both in, I was in a private Christian school, and then I went to public school. But in both scenarios, I endured what we would now call intense bullying. So the loss of a loved one uh, compounded by a few years of intense, uh, intense bullying right around that, that, that adolescence uh, beginning time of my life uh, was a tremendous test for me. I had never known any serious testing before that in my life. And um, I believe to this day firmly that God was testing me during those years uh, to prepare me to be able to minister to the brokenhearted and to prepare me for even greater trials. 
But through that painful time, I became essentially addicted to seeking revenge against those who hurt me. I worked harder to be successful than many of the people around me in order to get back at people for hurting me. And that became the ambition of my life, and I sought it like a drug. And I began to crave like a drug the attention of others. So the world and the flesh and the devil exploited God's good testing in my life so that I became addicted to revenge and to seeking attention. And the Lord has had his way in my life so that those no longer master me 30 years later. And yet, almost on a daily basis, I have to pray to my heavenly Father, Lord, deliver me from temptations like that. So that's just one example of how God brings his people testing because he loves us to refine us, but the world and the flesh and the devil exploit that and do something else with it. And that's what we have to be delivered from. And that's what we have to be on our guard against. Now, as we pray our Father, so this final petition, deliver us, is not only individual, it is communal. We are asking God not to just deliver Brian. We are asking God to deliver his people, to deliver his family. And so the people we are seeking deliverance for in our prayers are not only ourselves, but one another and our neighbors and God's people around the world. Praying for deliverance reminds us of our own vulnerability. This is absolutely essential to live a flourishing life in Jesus' terms in the Sermon on the Mount. You must remember your vulnerability. And you, remu- you must remember that others are vulnerable as well, and they have the same needs that you do. A way of, of actually praying this petition, uh, oh, I forgot to mention, I forgot to say, uh, Peter's, the Apostle Peter's response to the world and the flesh and the devil was, be sober-minded and be watchful. And that's what we're doing, not only for yourself, but for, for one another, because this is our Father in heaven, right? And so a way of praying like this is to basically say, and and this is kind of an elaboration on the sixth petition, Father, uh, we don't wish to endure testing. We're not asking for it, but should you in your wisdom ordain it for us, then Father, enable us during those vulnerable times and seasons of our lives, enable us to resist the world in its ways. Enable us to resist our own sinful, deceitful flesh. And enable us to resist the schemes of our spiritual adversary, the devil. You see, we pray for deliverance, remembering always that God ordains testing to mature us. As it says in James chapter 1, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and you need that so that you may be perfect, James says, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. We don't go looking for trouble. (laughs) That's critical. We don't go asking for trouble, but we anticipate it in a broken world, and we grow from it as God's children. 
we not only remember that God ordains testing to mature us, but we also remember that trials make us susceptible to temptation. What does a predator do? Because the Bible refers to Satan as a, a, a roaring lion. What do predators do? They go after the lonely one that breaks away from the herd. You see, testing, trials, suffering, difficulty, adversity, conflict, these things make us even more vulnerable and susceptible to temptation. James went on to say, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, right? So we can't blame God and we can't blame the devil. We're tempted when we're lured by our own desires, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. We never, never dismiss Satan's power in this world. And we never dismiss our own sinfulness and our own proclivity to certain sins. Prayer is warfare. Prayer is warfare against whatever oppresses you spiritually, physically, and physically also means psychologically and relationally. Prayer is warfare against whatever oppresses our neighbors and our brothers and sisters around the world, spiritually, physically, and socially. Prayer is warfare. So let's cultivate in our prayer life prayers that submit to God's will and to God's way in whatever comes against us. Let your prayers begin to look like requests to submit yourself to God's will and to God's way in whatever and whoever is coming against you. The key is submitting to God's will and God's way in the midst of that adversity. And here's just a simple way that you can pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Just an example based on the... um, the adoration, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication pattern. Our Father, uh, we praise you and we worship you because you are a mighty fortress. Uh, You are greater than the devil. You are greater than the powers at work in this world that would come against any of us. Not only are you greater, infinitely greater, but Father, you love us and you care for us. So, Father, we confess that that we have loved this world so much that we are blind to its effect on us. And we we have become arrogant in, in our ability and desire to justify ourselves when we are challenged or when we make mistakes or when we sin. And, Father, we confess that we have become lazy and flabby in being aware of the deceitfulness of our own sins. And yet, Father, we thank you, and I thank you that my Lord Jesus Christ resisted sin and defeated evil on the cross, that when it looked the bleakest and the darkest as the righteousness and God had lost, he won by sacrificing himself in our place. The devil never saw it coming. And I praise you that he resisted sin and that he defeated evil. And Father, just as you have provided him for me as my Savior, as my forgiver and reconciler, I now thank you that by Christ's Spirit, you provide me daily with the help that I need to overcome and endure trials and to defeat and guard against temptation daily. And so now I ask you, Father, to deliver me 
from all that is too strong for me. Father, I ask that you would deliver us, your church, that you would deliver your sons and daughters, our brothers and sisters, that you would deliver our neighbors and Christians around the world from whatever powers and power structures, whether spiritual or physical or social or economic or political, whatever powers are too great for them, according to your will and according to your ways. Amen. Uh, See, that's just a way that you can pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now listen, no victory will be available or achieved by those who love this world more than their heavenly Father loves them. If you love the world more than your heavenly Father loves you, I promise you, Jesus accomplished victory for you on the cross, but you may see very little victory day by day in your life dealing with the continual nagging sins and temptations and the trials and the, tempt- and, and, and the struggles and the adversity and the, and the conflict that you face on a regular basis. You may not see victory if you love the world and the things in it more than you love this God who loves you. Have you noticed that trials, that testings, disrupt the things that we love? Trials even disrupt the things that we wrongly love. I'll give you just, just three examples. Materialism, individualism, and skepticism. As I thought about the things that trials threaten in us, I think maybe for Americans, these are maybe the big three. They're among, among the greatest, materialism, individualism, and skepticism. Let me put that in English. We want our stuff, and we're angry when we can't get it or keep it, We want our independence or our self-sufficiency, and when we can't conquer ourselves, we're embarrassed and ashamed. And we want answers. We want answers to life's biggest problems and the biggest questions, and we're frustrated, and we start asking God that question, can I really trust you, when we don't get the answers we need. This is what this is what, these are the things we wrongly love and cling to that our trials and testings by God's design disrupt. You see, we don't want that type of testing. He knows we need it. And so when we complain and when we're frustrated about the lack of stuff and the lack of independence and, and the lack of answers, this is where all our toxic thinking comes from. That's the source of our unhealthy habits and our poor decisions and our addictive patterns. Now, if you want to be delivered of these things, you have to first go back and uncover the things that you love too much. You can't just look at the problem and say, I don't want the problem anymore without doing the hard work. And sometimes you and I need help. We need counseling. We need encouragement. We need accountability. We need one another, our Father in heaven, right? We need one another. We have to do the hard work. We have to go back and we have to uncover the things we love too much that we don't want to lose or are frustrated that we've lost or don't understand why we don't have. We have to go back there because that's what's driving the addiction. That's what's driving the fear. That's, that's what's driving the frustration, 
Don't expect to endure testing well. Don't expect to overcome temptation if the rest of the Lord's prayer is foreign to you. If the rest of the Lord's prayer, all that we've been through in the last several weeks, is is not your priority. And let's just think in summary about the Lord's prayer and all of its components. Are you resting in your heavenly Father's adoptive love for you? Are you living to promote His wonderful name and reputation in the world? Is His kingdom's agenda your agenda so that you desire to do His will on this earth and not your own? Are you content with His daily provision? And are you content with what He has chosen not to provide? Are you rejoicing in His forgiveness? And are you forgiving one another? These truly are the things that rescue us from the world and the flesh and the devil. And since prayer is warfare, and this is the Lord's prayer, without it, you're a sitting duck. Deliverance, and here's the good news, deliverance today, listen, if you're a believer, your deliverance has been accomplished. It's happened. 2,000 years ago, when the Son of God hung on a Roman cross and three days later came out of a tomb, your deliverance has taken place. Amen? But if you want it every day in practical ways, it comes as you and I grow in our appreciation for our deliverer. This is where the gospel is not just an idea, but daily power for you and me. We grow in our appreciation for our deliverer. It says in in Psalm 91, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Because he knows, because she knows my name and, and my name. And this brings us back full circle in the Lord's Prayer. Do you know his name? Or what I mean is, do you hallow his name? Do you promote his name. What I mean is, is he your greatest love? More than anything else, is he what you want and what you desire? If the answer is yes, friends, then expect him to deliver you from whatever you cannot overcome on your own. But according to his wisdom, according to his way. As we look for answers to the sixth petition, we have to go backwards and look at all the other petitions which guide our expectations on how God delivers us. I want to close with a beautiful quote from the Heidelberg Catechism from 1563. Okay? So, The Heidelberg Catechism begins with the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the beautiful answer. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully paid for all my sins 
and redeemed me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Jesus' victory over sin and Satan and death is his people's victory. Because Jesus conquered, friend, in him, if you follow him, if you belong to him, and if he is your greatest joy and treasure, then all that victory is yours. That is the gospel. That is the good news that you died with Christ along with all your sins, that you rose from the dead with Christ on that day 2,000 years ago, that you literally are in God's eyes sinless. That is the gospel. You're blessed. That, the Sermon on the Mount, right? We're, we're finished now with a year of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about blessedness, which means this is what Jesus says about what it means to flourish as a human being. And that's what it's all about. Flourishing as a human being is knowing that you died with Christ, that you rose with Christ, and that in God's eyes, you have Christ's righteousness as a sinless, perfect, reconciled son and daughter of your Creator. And as the Lord's love grows in you and guided by the Lord's prayer, you will see deliverance. We will see deliverance. Christians pray seeking deliverance from whatever we cannot overcome on our own. So let's cultivate a prayer life as a family, as a church family, and you as individuals and in your marriages and in your Christian friendships and with your children, cultivate a prayer life that submits to God's will and to God's way whatever comes against you, whatever comes against us, whatever comes against his church around the world as it struggles to remain faithful to him in every society, in every culture, in every circumstance. Let's submit to God's will and God's ways as we ask him for deliverance. Let's pray. Father, we asked you two months ago, as your disciples asked you, teach us how to pray. Thank you for doing that. Uh, we don't claim to understand it perfectly, not even close. But we've begun. And we thank you for that. I, I ask that you would make us a praying church, that you would keep us humble, seeking you as your children trusting in you completely for our daily provision, for the forgiveness of our sins and our ability to forgive one another, for protection and deliverance in a difficult, dangerous world. We also, above all these things, pray that we as a church, that we as Christians would honor your reputation in this society and in this community. We ask that we would be more on board with the agenda of your coming kingdom than with our own agendas. We pray that you would give us wisdom to distinguish your coming kingdom from the kingdoms of this world and to hold them in, in right respect. And we ask for the faith, for the love, for the patience to do your will on earth as it is done in heaven. 
in the powerful name of Jesus, our great Savior, who prayed to forgive us, who prayed that we would even be one. Amen.